Jag vet inte hur många sällskaper jag har mött som sliter med att få in professionella investorer till trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och sällskapet visar växt och goda tal. Vi ser en ting de proffsiga investorerna på utsikter i tillägg att du bygger ett bra sällskap självklart är hur du hanterar dina aktionärer eller ditt så kallade cap table som det heter på startupsk. Ett ödelagt cap table sätter rätt och slett en stopper för sällskapsutveckling. Unlisted.ai gör det möjligt för sällskaper att hantera aktie- och optionsprogrammer, aktieägarboken, cap table och det mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i sällskapet på ett sted. Pröv Unlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. Hej och välkommen till Shifters podcast. Eh, idag så har vi en väldigt spännande gäst, nämligen Sean Percival. Men för vi ska snacka med Sean så vill jag bara gärna tacka vår sponsor kolonial.no som har sponsrat eh, Shifters podcast och har nu har också en stillingsannons ute på Shifter, hvor de söker en performance manager. Så check ut stillingen hvis du är er i målgruppen och tusen tack till Kolonial som sponsrar den här episoden. Yes, da er det tilbake til Sean Percival, men før vi sier hej til dig Sean, så har vi Maria eh, Amelie med hei, oss. Hei, ja. Kult å være her. Ja, hyggelig at du kunne komme. Ja. And uh, right now I will switch over to English and uh, welcome our guest uh, Sean Percival. Hi Sean, how are you? I'm good, thanks for having me. So Sean, you have a very exciting background and you've been pretty prolific in the Norwegian startup community. Um you are from uh, California, is yep, it correct? Correct. Yeah. Are, did you were you born and raised there? Yeah, I was born in Los Angeles, small little town. Yeah. What's it called? Los Angeles. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only has about ten million people. <laughs> okay, and it's on the East Coast. No, no. Just uh, <laughs> and, be careful. Uh, <laughs> well, um, so Sean, um, you, we will we will delve deeper into your startup um, uh, activities here in Norway. But how did it all start? If I go way back, I was always the very technical kid, and my dad used to joke that when I was four, I was programming the VCR, I was fixing all the gadgets in the house, or taking them apart. I don't know if that actually happened at four, you know how dads like to exaggerate, um, but I was always into technology, I was into the bulletin board systems really early on, so this is kind of like the precursor of the internet before it really took off, um, but really the sort of turning point was I moved to Vegas, I was 18 years old. My life, honestly, was kind of going nowhere. I was living at home. I was kind of a bit of a loser, to be honest. Uh, a friend called me up, said I had extra room, and I have a job if you want it. And I needed a job at that point. And the job, he was manager of a janitor company. And I was pretty desperate, so I took the job. And I needed cash. I was in a new city. I needed to pay rent. And right away, it was like the graveyard shift, which is, you know, if you don't know, that's midnight to 8 a.m., so middle of the night. And I was cleaning office buildings. And one of the office buildings was a Vegas.com. Uh, the year, by the way, is 1999. So this is like beginning of the internet. Everyone's getting really excited. And I would go in this office at 1, 2 in the morning, and the office was full, like jam-packed, tons of activity. And people are playing video games and drinking Mountain Dew. And like, it just was a lot of energy going on. And I sort of stood there, and I was like, this looks like a lot more fun than being a janitor. Like, and I kind of know computers. I had put it aside for a year or two. And it really sort of inspired me to sort of get off, you know, the, the janitor, you know, uh, bucket and, you know, get into tech again. First job was doing tech support. So I'm basically doing phone calls. Um, a company called SoftBank, really large Japanese company. And we did tech support for Adobe and, and all these large Logitech, all these big American companies um, prior to everything getting kind of shipped off uh, to India. And that just started it. And same deal. I once again got a graveyard shift, you know, doing phone calls middle of the night. And there would be an hour or two in between phone calls, and I'm just sitting there. And so I taught myself how to program, how to do uh, design, and just kept moving forward and forward and forward. Um, then from there, just kept jumping into tech companies. And, and some were what you might call startups. A lot were more like normal businesses that had a website. And, you know, I got really excited about startups as they started taking off again in kind of about 2003 or 2004. Um, worked at several in L.A., uh, eventually moved up to Silicon Valley, where I joined 500 Startups. I think we'll talk a little bit about them. Uh, and then about two years ago, I came here to Norway and started the next sort of great journey, or crazy journey, and that's kind of where I am today. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, 
Were you at some point planning to study, or you just decided not to go to university? No, I actually had trouble in school, so I'm, I'm a dropout of both high school and college. And I dropped out of high school because I was distracted, and I was more into like partying and girls, to be honest. And I wasn't a bad student. You know, I had great grades, but the pace of school was never fast enough. I got bored. Um, I went to college for a little bit, but it was like classes that were fun. So it was like storytelling and visual design and piano, <laughs> like nothing of use to, um, you know, I probably would have gone, but in America it's different. You know, it's like you have to incur a lot of debt and I just didn't want to do that. Uh, and because I dropped out of high school, I didn't have all the grades I needed. And really I started getting into computers at this, you know, 19 and 20, the money they were paying me was so good. I was like, why would I go to school? Like, why would I delay my career for four years when I could start right away? So, uh, what would the perfect school look like in, in your, in your view? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I like school in America, especially it hasn't changed much in 50 years where, where the entire world has changed several times over. Um, it is kind of part of my longer term goals is to actually get more into education, trying to merge sort of entrepreneurship and the accelerator model that I've been working on with education. Uh, I feel like you learn a lot more by doing and creating than you do by listening to theory and li listening to a lecture. Uh, you know, so to me, it's like, yeah, doing more. I love the fact there's so many entrepreneurial courses here in Norway. You can get a degree in entrepreneurship, um, but I also worry that you don't actually learn until you do it. So I, I would like to maybe challenge that at some point in the future, mirroring my sort of startup accelerator experience with the modern day classroom. So very sort of broad idea now, but it is something of interest. Hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, you, you did a, qu a very quick story of your background right now. But if we go back to the um, uh, when you first moved to Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. what, what did you do? Yeah, so Dave McClure, who's the founder of 500, he invested in my previous company. And he actually invested at a time when things were not going well. Um, we were running out of money. Like We had good revenue, but we couldn't attract the capital we needed. He literally gave us a check for $50,000 and said, if it doesn't work out, you have to come work for me. And I kind of laughed it off. And I was like, I was so desperate for money. I was trying to make payroll. So I was like, great, give me the money and I'll, I'll let you know. And sure enough, in six months later, we were out of business. And I called him up and said, okay, the business is done. I don't know what to do next. And he's like, you can start next week. And that's what brought me up there. I'd always wanted to be there. Um, I'd been working in L.A., and L.A. was kind of slow. L.A. reminds me a lot of Oslo at the time. It was slow to take off the ground. There really wasn't much capital. That's all changed now. L.A. is on the map, and Snapchat, Oculus have done it. But uh, I kind of wanted something different. So I, I went there to be where the, cap the capital and the talent is. But your previous company, what company was that? It was a company called Whittle Bee, kind of like Little Bee. Okay. Uh, and it was selling kids' clothing on a subscription So I had become a parent. It was very hard to go shopping for your kids. As a business person, I was like, wow, I'm going to spend $2,000 on clothes this year. I could create a business around that. If a customer will spend $1,000 or $2,000 with me, it's a good business. And the idea was never go shopping again. We just automate the wardrobe. So every month you get a few items. As the seasons change, so do the clothes. Uh, and it's also was tailored to your interests. So if you said, my son likes blue and dinosaurs, you got stuff that was blue with dinosaurs on it. So it's trying to challenge sort of retail you know, with sort of new e-commerce trends. And why, do, why don't, you, don't you think, why didn't it work? That, that's kind of the, the unfortunate thing is it worked really well. You know, we made a million dollars in nine months, which is pretty quick. Um, when I shut the business down, it was doing $3 million dollars a year in sales. Um, but what had happened is the market had changed. It was easy for us to attract capital. We got great capital. Google invested, all kinds of really great investors. When I went to do the Series A, uh, investors didn't like e-commerce anymore. Uh, Fab.com had crashed. Shoe Dazzle was another big LA company that had crashed. And so I went out to market, despite the fact that the business was doing well, numbers were good, there was no interest in e-commerce. So don't always assume you can raise money, even if you have a good business. And we ran out of cash. So it was tough. Shutting down a business that's working is, is really tough. But if it's, I don't understand, if it's successful, why can't you just run the business like a normal business? Why does it have to grow? Yeah, but good question. But in Silicon Valley, it's all about growth. It's not about profitability. So we were not profitable. So it was just growing as fast as we can. Uh, that's all the investors cared about. They want you to get as much market share as you can, get to $100 million in revenue as fast as possible. So they don't want you to build a sustainable business. They want you to build a large business that grows fast. But you obviously found the product market fit. Product market fit was good, but it wasn't, you know, we had about 8,000 subscribers. We needed about 15 to be break even. 
Because remember, there's logistics. I had a warehouse. I had a staff of 30 people. I had customer service. I had manufacturing costs. So there is a lot of variables that go in that just meant the business was not quite to the scale to be break-even. If I had sort of maybe slowed on growth, then I probably could have done a sustainable business. But all my investors were literally poking me, being like, grow, grow, grow. And I'm a marketer, so I'm like, you want me to grow the business? Let's grow. But I wasn't really thinking as much about the unit economics and the sort of fundamentals of the business. Is is this a, a weakness with the, the startup or the, the Silicon Valley model? Is it, is it you know, are you actually uh, just destroying a lot of businesses that actually would be viable in a normal scenario? Yeah, because that would be a very good business in Norway uh, yeah. and Nordics. Yeah. Like people would give you yeah. a, a, an Entrepreneur of the Year award and everything because you <laughs> managed to accomplish like one million, three million in revenue. Yeah. yeah. I think it is. I think, but like Silicon Valley has high tolerance for failure. It's not about like a business that does okay. It's the rocket ship or nothing. So yeah, like, but this is the model. Like failure to them is okay. They would rather invest in 10 ideas, have them scale as fast as possible. One of those becomes a billion dollar business. That's all they really want to create is billion dollar companies where I think there's actually, and it's one reason I joined 500, we wanted to create hundred million dollar companies, more reasonable and more sustainable companies. But you're right, this is Silicon Valley. It, it is a growth mindset. Grow as fast as you can, get as big as you can, uh, and we'll fund the whole thing. By the way, we want to keep funding it because every time we fund you, we get more equity so we can buy more of the company. So it is a bit of a drug. It's like you get addicted to VC. You don't think about becoming profitable. You think about how do I get the next round and more money and more money. Yeah, I have a really like big problem with that thinking because uh, at some point it's not about creating something good for many people. It's about actually giving money to VCs and uh, and how well where it will get us eventually. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's just how things have been done there, and and I think it it is a bit of the American greed. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's it's the rocket ship or nothing, and nothing in between is of interest. But if you're a VC and you only get 1x your money back, you're a bad VC. You're going to go out of business. VCs want to get 5, 10, 50x on their return. That's all they're really focused on. Yeah, to me, this, like, uh, as a Norwegian, it sounds it, it sounds too black and white. Like, yeah. either you grow like uh, a maniac and uh, we can get a return, or we're not interested. Um, it, it has some positive aspects because, you know, it makes you go fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know growth is good in a way. Uh, on the other hand, is, is you know are we are we creating the right types of businesses? You know, are are every business a growth business? And should you know everyone <laughs> be doing that? Will we have a good community mm. if it's all about creating businesses in that way? Do you have your reflections on that? I mean, it's kind of like in San Francisco. There's like a hundred apps for ordering food, at least mm. probably more. And I think that it's more of the approach of like, do all these bets and then see who works out. There'll be a consolidation. People will die or the companies will be merged together. But it's just, once again, all about creating that, that massive market winner, the, the big, big winner too. You know, I, the only exception is like Uber is a good example. There's been lots of people trying to make other Ubers. No one's really getting close. There's one other in the market that's challenging them, but they're like a hundredth of the size. So that's why Uber is getting all the cash. But yeah, it's just market dominance. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it's let the market put the, put everything out there, and then free market. Let the market decide who wins. So I have I have two kids. Is is your idea up for grabs there in Norway, or should you, do, do you want? If, if you, I think you're busy. I think you have a day job. But um, but yeah, it's up for grabs, and people can always reach out. And ironically, or not maybe not ironically, every week or two, there's an email in my inbox. Hey, I'm starting the same business in U.S. or other countries. Can I get some advice? So I feel there's a model there. If I would do it again, it would be more sustainable and it would grow much slower. Um, but yeah, I, I believed in it and I want someone to succeed. And I've invested in a few businesses that are kind of similar, a bit of my redemption. You know, I'm like, someone's going to get this to work, you know, and maybe I'll get something out of it. Yeah. But, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, I have a question about um, at, at what uh, at, you had a period in MySpace, is that correct? I did. Yeah. yeah so, so almost how, two years. Yeah. How, how did you get in there? So I worked for another startup in L.A., and one day I opened up TechCrunch, and it said, you know, my boss is the new CEO of MySpace. And I was a little confused because he was my boss, and I didn't know this was happening. And five minutes later, I got an email being like, yep, I've been hired. Um, I'm going to bring you all in. Um, MySpace is in trouble. They were still bigger than Facebook at the time, um, but the numbers were not looking good. And what, what, sorry, what time was this? 
So this was uh, 2011. Yeah, maybe actually maybe before, maybe 2009-ish. Uh, and they basically said, we need to sort of flush the staff out. We need to get startup people in here. We've become big and bloated. News Corp has sort of put all these layers of bureaucracy. Um, nobody's really driven anymore. and Everyone's made their money or, or just doesn't care. So we're going to flush the staff out. We're going to renew it. And you guys are going to have a chance to reinvent the site. So that's how I got. To me, it was kind of a bit of a risky thing. It's like running into a building on fire. And But I like the challenge. Um, MySpace was one of the LA heroes. It was one of the few businesses that was large at the time. I didn't want to lose it for the local community. I wanted to see it survive. And as I mentioned, just a really, really big challenge. And so I, I came in there and helped them sort of reinvigorate traffic, uh, do the relaunch, uh, and and survive and, and fight off the big blue beast, which was, you know, Facebook. So what it was um, Rupert Murdoch bought MySpace, right? He did, News Corp. So yep. was he the owner when you got in there? He was, yeah. So in your opinion, why didn't MySpace work? So the, it's a lot of things, and we could probably do a whole podcast on that. Um, but I would say, to start off with, one, they over-monetized the site. They only cared about making money. The story I like to tell is they created MySpace books. Now, like, you're an author, but, like, did you think of MySpace as a place to find other authors no, and, and talk about ever. books? No. Yeah. The reason they did this is because a large publisher gave them half a million dollars to create that site. But once again, it's like you went to MySpace to, like, listen to music and see friends and flirt with a guy or girl you like. Like, that was the, the utility of it. So they just kept doing more and more monetization to the point where the experience got bad and the site had a bad design. And instead of improving the infrastructure and the design of the site... They build MySpace books and five or ten other things that were purely about making money. You think about Facebook, very utilitarian, very clean, just a very basic, no no fuss, no no static. So they didn't really respect the users. They tried to you know get as much cash as they could out of them, and then users eventually you know they gave up on that. They, they just got fatigue. Um, and then also the the big big issue though was like technical debt. You know, they, we didn't have things like Amazon AWS, which allows you to scale your business really fast. You know, they built their own CDN at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars that was very hard to manage. Um, I also remember, like, tell the story of we changed the logo, and it took us, like, three weeks. Normally, you build a website, there's one file you change, and it goes throughout the website. The logo was 150 different types of logos in different locations because this thing was a Frankenstein. So where Facebook would be very nimble, they were like PHP and, and LAMP, you know, which is a more flexible stack. Uh, you know, we were this like big, we were Microsoft and this big like unwieldy beast. So we just couldn't make changes, you know, quickly. And, and the world was changing fast. Do you think like in music industry, it's been very, become very popular to buy uh, vinyl? Uh, do you think that maybe, <laughs> maybe kids, like the next, next generation will go to, like, yeah. will... Uh, reanimate uh, MySpace and uh, this sort of vintage hipster thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> because it well, was become... very fun. Also, it, it did. Yeah. It, it had something special that we didn't have. Like in Facebook, you have to use your own name, but in Sp MySpace, you could be anyone. You could yeah. be like Butterfly. Yeah, you were. You were and, yeah, XXX420 okay. Princess yeah. or whatever you wanted to be. <laughs> um, so, will it become retro cool? I thought about it, and when I left, we had this massive room of, of swag, T-shirts, and all this stuff. And I got the biggest box I could find, and I filled it up, and I walked out the building with it. So I have all, like, literally this huge box of all this MySpace stuff. I'm like, I'm going to sell this to hipsters in about 10 years. Um, but I don't I know. Buy. Yeah, right? And, and, like, yeah, they're funny shirts. Like, if you wore a MySpace shirt today, it'd be, it would be funny. Um, I don't know, though. To answer your question, probably not. I don't see software companies do this. I see hardware companies do this. Um, Apple did it. Uh, Nintendo did it. Uh, Lego did it. Those are physical objects. If I think about like Yahoo, is Yahoo going to be cool again? Mm, probably not. I just I think it's different with software. I think when you lose your cool in software, it's impossible to get it back. Yeah, yeah. It's not like I miss Alta Vista. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you move on. The new experience is so much better. What if they even if they copied the new experience, it still wouldn't have the the soul of it. Yeah, yeah and you know it has a it has it has a functional value, right? And when when you get a new product that's much better, it's you know. As opposed to you know Lego, that's emotional value. Yeah, it doesn't you know you can't make anything better in the Lego. Like it's like you can't compare it, right? Yeah, a new toy to Lego, right? Yeah. So. Also generational. Where I played with Legos, now I bought my kids Legos. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe like in one more generation, maybe the you know the parents will sort of get them to use it again. I don't know, but but probably not. I think when you lose the cool, you're you're done. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
not not leaving the the subject about Lego because I'm a Lego. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think yeah, they've, they've been an incredible uh, company, and uh, like you said, you know, you used to work play with Lego when you were young. I, I did as well, so it's normal for me to buy it to my kids. But what I see is also that they're building a massive content universe around mm-hmm. the characters. Like, you know, they have Lego Star Wars, Lego that, Lego that. And, um, uh, and my my son watches all the Ninjago, all the things, you know, so they, they build a real, really emotional bond. Yep. Sorry about my little Lego. <laughs> Your son is watching or are you watching? No, well? yeah, me, I mean, you know, I watch the Lego movie. <laughs> yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny movie. Every, everything is awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like the, be- the best, that's like the best commercial ever, right? Yeah. For a product, yep. <laughs> so um, no, sorry about Lego. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, you you finished up in my in MySpace, and um, and then then you started your company uh, a little bit. No, pretty much right yeah. after. Yeah, yeah. I, I joined an incubator uh, or more of a startup studio called Science, and they had created companies, or we were creating companies like Dollar Shave Club. If you've heard of them, yeah, huge exit. They just got a billion dollar exit. Um, so that was also a subscription. So mm. we were creating several subscription based businesses, and, and mine was one of them. Mm. Yeah. I can ask, uh, um, what is the difference between incubator and accelerator? Mm. Like, it's interesting from uh, Silicon Valley point of view. Yeah, and they get interchanged a lot, so it's very confusing. So to me, an incubator is long-term. It's one to five years. Uh, it's more like co-working with a little bit of support. Accelerator is short, one to three months, extremely hands-on, really pushing you to sort of make it happen. And the third variant is a startup studio or a startup factory, which means like you're getting a a lot of money at the idea stage. You're also getting shared resources. So there's like a marketing team, a design team, a developer team that everybody in the studio can pull from. But I think Norway has had more incubators, not many accelerators. You know, so things that take long time, things that are more TTO based research, that's an incubator to me. So when you joined 500 Startups, you were working on Accelerator? I wasn't, no. I I was just exiting my business, and we were winding it down and selling the assets. And um, they called me, and and the woman that ran it previously uh, was going on maternity leave. And they're like, we want you to join. There's many things you can do. Um, Do you want to run the Accelerator? I had no experience other than a little bit of work in science. And um, I said, yes, absolutely. Uh, I didn't really want to be a VC. I actually don't like VCs very much. Maybe more here in Norway, there's not many of them. Um, but in Silicon <laughs> Valley, like, didn't really love VCs, and I had just gone through a nasty fundraising process myself, so I was less eager. But I looked at 500, and it was really early stage. The team was very international, very diverse. It wasn't your typical fund. If you look at most funds, it's like, yeah, like it's like a bunch of 50-year-old white guys made in a factory, like stamped out, and they all have the same blue shirt, and they, they're not typically very honest or candid. And I looked at 500, I was like, wow, they're kind of wild and crazy and very direct and just really hands-on in the way they help companies. And so it, I wouldn't have joined another fund, and, and really it was for them. And I knew what the program was. I had mentored a little bit, and I was excited about trying to help them also sort of level it up and, and change it. And they gave me a completely blank check. Do whatever you want. So that that was a hard offer to turn down. Hmm. Well, what is um, after seeing so many startups pitch during your time in Fiverr and startups? What do you see? Like, what is the most common mistake? For example, when it comes to pitching. Yeah, I think a lot of people focus too much on the story or the vision or what they're going to do in three years. And I want more realistic. What are you doing now? And numbers, metrics driven. Um, they don't know the numbers a lot of times, or they don't include the numbers in the deck, and then I have to like pull it out of them, and then they don't have good answers for it. So 500 and myself, very metric-focused. How much money are you making? How much money are you going to make? What are the unit economics? What is the conversion rate? We, I want to know all this data. I'm a background as a marketer, so everything I want to quantify, because then I do the math in my head trying to figure out, is this a real business or not? And if you don't have that data, it's hard to figure out. Um, I think here in Norway, maybe what the one criticism I have is like confidence in the pitch. Pitch has got to be strong. I got to believe in her, this, this guy or girl. Like I just like here, they're very somber and they don't, you know, these sort of the traits, you're modest and you don't want to brag. Silicon Valley though, it's too much bragging, but I discount them a little bit because <laughs> I know they're, they're telling me a bit of a story, but, but yeah, passion, conviction, you know, it's really hard to do a startup. I want to know in year one, when things, everything's gone to hell, that you're still going to work hard. You're still going to make it happen. You know, you're not going to give up. Yeah. Um, after working with the uh, startups the last seven months, um, I've 
I've been more and more attracted to the the team, like mm. the team being solid. Yep. That's that's where I put. I haven't put any money, in it, but that's where I would put my money. You know, um, and you know, an alternative way is to actually use a lot of time finding the right team uh, before because I I feel that there are not that there's a lot of startups that don't that, that don't have very like a lot of startups have good teams, but often there's in, in that's in the team that's actually making mm-hmm. me not wanting to mm-hmm. you know invest in that company yeah what, what do you think about uh yeah team's important um there's a reason like you shouldn't be a single founder uh, not like dating but like on your own like because you're not going to be good at everything so i want to see like a really well-balanced team one person's the technical person the other person is the sales and marketing so they have everything they need mm-hmm. to sort of be a complete package. Only two founders? Or no? I don't like too many. And I, I see more companies out here that have four founders, five founders. Every time I've seen that in the past, one or two founders breaks up. And then there's an issue of the sort of breaking up and the assigning of equity and just bad feelings. So I, I prefer the two. I would be okay with three. Uh, but if it's four or five, six, I'm probably more concerned. So you would never invest in Colonial Dodano? No, I mean, there's always the outlier, yeah. But uh, if I had saw them, sponsored, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but they, yeah. But they have a ridiculous amount of founders, right? Yeah, like, they have 10, I think. Yeah, which is yeah. insane. So at the early stage, I would be like, no, that's never going to work. Obviously not right all the time, you know, and there's exceptions mm-hmm. to the rule. Um, but if there's 10, I, I guarantee some of those have must have pulled out at this time. So I think they're all in, actually, Okay, still. But they've been doing quite well, so... Yeah, that's another thing. They have capital. They're doing well, too. But even then, someone's going to get mad. Someone's going to get jealous. And you guys will write the story about them leaving. It'll be a nasty breakup. <laughs> okay, no. they're the sponsor. No, we'll, we'll be nicer to them, too. But but there is always outliers. But, yeah, Silicon Valley, like, yeah, the, that would scare investors. Yeah. What else would scare investors? Yeah, team dynamics are important. And when you do the accelerators, you meet a lot of teams. Sometimes hundreds of companies for 15 minutes. And it's just like seeing how they bounce off of each other. Um, do they interrupt each other? You know, is there clearly that there's headbutting going on already? If there's headbutting at the early stage, when things get stressful, oh, that's just going to explode. So you are looking for that dynamic, that that just balance, you know, yin and yang, just feeling like a really good good match together. Have you ever invested your own money in not having the uh, you know the right metrics there, but you just did an emotional bet? Uh, I have. Yeah. Most of them have not worked out, but, um, it's funny also in the accelerators, when I look at companies, it's always like, I see one, I'm like, yep, that team's amazing. That's going to be the best company in the batch. Almost every time that company blows up and doesn't work out. And it's this one company that I wasn't sure about, gave them a chance and they just took off. This is why you do the accelerator. I used to do 30 companies in California. I don't know who's going to win. I'm going to try everyone. And then the winners are going to get more love and more money and, and continue. Um, even Y Combinator, another really large program, on opening day, they have 100 companies. And they even say, one of you is the billion-dollar company. And if we know which one, we'd put all our time into you. But we don't. So we're going to figure this out together. Um, so it is, it's the larger approach, the index approach uh, to see. That's the best way to figure it out. I, I feel it lacks a lot of emotion and love. <laughs> that yeah. system that you're, it's because it's a, it's a numbers game. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. you lose, but still, it's yeah. It's... Yeah, but I'll say I like the other flip side of doing programs that have. I did a program with seven companies in Stockholm, and that was great because it was like much later stage though. So I didn't have this risk of some of these are not going to work out. They'd already proven themselves. I like that because then it was everyone got the same amount of love. So I understand, like, it, it does seem a little brutal. It's almost like the slaughter, you know, house. <laughs> it's like, all right, you're going to move them through quick. But Silicon Valley, again, there's thousands of companies. There's maybe five to 10,000 companies at that stage at any given time. So you're just trying to grab your net around a few of them and, and work with the ones that can survive. Yeah. So you started in 500 startups around 2011, maybe? Yeah, I'm foggy on the dates now, but yeah, something around that. It was yeah. Well, it was three years ago. Yeah. Three years, okay, yeah, so, so more 2013? Like, yeah. yeah. And then you you did some acceler you did some programs. Yeah, I did two programs in California. Two programs in yep. California, and then you were asked to or three actually yeah. was. Then you were asked to come to the Nordics to do or, or yeah. whose idea was that? How, how'd this all start? So um, a friend, Tyler Crowley, is like the Stockholm hype man and yes. also an American. Is that the TechFest dude? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And he is actually was trying to get me to come there for a while. And I was like, why would I come to Sweden? It's freezing. And I don't under, like Americans don't understand the Nordics. It's changing a little bit now. And I think he like he messaged me or called me. and was like, I've already bought the ticket. You have to come to this event. And he sent me the ticket. 
And I was like, okay, great, I'll be there. If you're, if you're flying me out, I'll, I'll check it out. And I went there and immediately was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I didn't understand what was here. Um, and at the same time, I met Stina, who was here. She was in Stockholm at the time, but here in Oslo. And she brought me here for a week to understand Norway and what was here and, and sort of took me and introduced me to everyone. Small community, so you can meet everyone really quick. Um, but I was sitting in an Airbnb in Oslo and I wrote to Dave and I was like, hey, there's a lot of opportunity here. This is incredibly exciting. It's all very early. Like, we can make an impact. There's a lack of mentorship and a lack of early stage capital. And that's what we do. Like, we should put this in there. And, and Dave, giving the freedom he does, just wrote back and said, yep, go for it. You know, tell me what you want to do and, and you build it out and figure it out. So very serendipitous and, and unexpected and literally just came here and, and I did. I sort of fell in love with the area, the people, the culture, the opportunity, um, and just shifted my whole life around that. And it's also a little bit like going back to your roots for you? Yeah, it, it was because I, I, like Americans, I, I have several different types of heritage, but a majority of it is Norwegian. And, you know, my great-grandparents came here in 1904, 1903, 1904, or came there um, because things were not going so well here. And they did the classic Norwegian thing. They went to Minnesota, and, and he went to Minnesota, married a Norwegian woman that was there. And But it was never passed down. And I didn't meet my great-grandfather, but my grandfather was very Norwegian in the fact that I think he said about three words to me my entire life. So there was no, yeah, it was just very quiet. He was an engineer, also very Norwegian. Um, just very stoic and just so, unfortunately, it was never passed down. So I did look, use that as an opportunity to get to understand what is what it was and what, who were they. And I went to the village they were from. And it was nice to stand out on the fjord where? and, yeah, and Hardanger. And, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, and it's just like beautiful village. Maybe a hundred people live there. And um, there's one company that builds boats, escape boats, uh, like rescue boats. And, um, yeah, I just got in touch with it again. So it was it was good. It was really rewarding. And, and yeah, just, I don't know. It was like, like, as I mentioned, Americans, I don't think we appreciate or understand our heritage because we come for two or three different types. So it's hard to, to focus on one. So you're you're in Scandinavia, uh, and uh, Dave McClure has just uh, given you the uh, uh, go-ahead yep. on uh, making the fund. So what's your first move? What do you do? Yeah, so I think initially I was thinking, let me go talk about 500 and educate people on what it was. And I, I did a talk at Startup Lab, and I did a very Silicon Valley talk. And the audience was very, like, I don't know, it was hard to describe, but they were I felt like they were in shock. And I was like, God, what did I say? And somebody walked up to me after and said, amazing talk. You just scared the hell out of everyone in this room. Because <laughs> I talked about valuations in the Valley and expectations and all this stuff. And he's like, you really, and it, that's, I had no understanding of where the ecosystem was and how things worked. Uh, but I went there to try and sort of recruit companies to come to California and, and recruited a few. And I started bringing companies to the program. I started doing seed investing uh, into a few companies here as well. I think one of the first ones was like Film Grail, you know, over at Startup yeah. Lab and, and a few others like that. And was just trying to understand it. Um, I wanted to show that we we're serious. We we're going to spend money. We we're going to, you know, be here to help and sort of try and bring the skill set here. So I started investing, and to be self-sustainable within 500, I did need to raise a fund. Uh, I wanted to have my own capital to invest as I needed to, uh, and sort of dedicate that capital to that region, and that was our model. So 500 wanted to do 500 startups. They did that. They did about 1,600. Their next step was how do they do 500 VCs, so 500 venture funds that are operating throughout the world. And they had already done Korea and India and a few others, and Nordics was the next one. And that's what I tried to work on. Hmm. So um, who, how did you build a team, and what was your strategy? Yeah, so the team, I didn't have much budget. I had almost no budget. Uh, so I wasn't going to be going around hiring a lot of people. Uh, I immediately hired Stina, though, because I enjoyed working with her, and, and I had trust with her, and she had trust with me. Who is Stina? And so, yeah, Stina Leland, she you know, yeah. is creator of, uh, or one of the founders of Startup Norway yeah. and Startup yeah. Extreme. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. did a lot of work here in the ecosystem for mm -hmm. the last few years. Uh, and so immediately had a really good connection and, and, and good trust um, because I was beginning to feel the Nordic or Norwegian skepticism and the bit of a wall to get to know people. Um, so as I tried to engage people, it was tough sometimes. And I could see in their eyes that they didn't, they thought they didn't trust or they didn't know why I was here. Usually because question number one, why are you here? <laughs> why Norway? You know, they, they were just very, very skeptical. Um, but she knew of 500. She had been trying to get 500 to come to the region. 
I felt that she would be the best ally. And I also knew I wanted to run programs right away. And she would be a great sort of director of these programs, both in terms of finding companies and sponsors and, and the logistics of, of making a program successful. Hmm. What are the cultural differences you, you noticed between Norwegian Americans? Like, what do you... What did you have to change about yourself to... Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of the reason I, I didn't... I wasn't so successful as I was slow to understand and slow to change. Um, I thought that they'd be excited by someone moving fast and being aggressive. And and that's not the case. And yeah, and I and so I, I probably pushed a few people a little bit too far or too fast and, and burned the relationship or didn't get the opportunity to, to work with them. So I, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand trust because I think I looked and be like, oh, I have experience. I'm coming from 500, extremely well-established, real entity, uh, but no one really knew what 500 was. Maybe some people like yourself had heard about it, but as I go talk to corporates and I'm trying to raise money from wealthy individuals, they didn't know. And so I think maybe just you know, classic American overconfidence and arrogance, you know, and, and, and just pushing a bit too far. Um, I didn't respect sort of quality of life. And, and, you know, I come from California where it's like, yeah, quality of life is not that good. <laughs> Great area to be, but like you work all the time and little things like people talking about cross country skiing and, and like, we should go. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And, in California, you'd be like, yeah, let's do something. You're like, yeah, great, let's do it. And maybe you're not that serious about it. <laughs> I didn't realize like that was like them trying to open up the door, and I should have jumped into more of the cultural understandings. And like, had I done that cross-country trip, I bet that partnership would have worked out. Yeah. But the fact that I didn't jump on it right away, like, you know, they didn't ask again. So, like, the, the, a lot of little nuances that. But, yeah, I, I think it was just literally me being too American in some cases. It's yeah. also very young startup scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but is, yeah, but I, I just is there some an issue of uh, product market fit here because you're actually selling a product, right? Yeah. But is it, you know, is it to the right market? Is it the right product to the right market? So it's a good question and our model uh, 500's model was radical in in California. It's a little normal now, but like at the time it was very radical. Y Combinator was still sort of proving out their model five years ago. So to bring a radical model from California to an early ecosystem, it was even more radical. And the fact that there was a high failure rate and make a lot of investments and we support them with accelerators, but nobody knew the value of an accelerator. Hmm. Uh, I think timing is important too. And I always joke like in love and business, timing is everything. And it's really hard to get these things right. I think if I had come today, much better opportunity. Just in one really? year? Oh, almost so two. Yeah. Years. Like now it's like the ecosystem's actually getting warm and really opening up. And, you know, there's now there's several accelerators running. There's people running accelerators in Oslo that told me they don't believe in the model and they would never run an accelerator. Well, they're running their second one now. So it's like, so we had an impact and now they're understanding the value. So I think I was two years too early, you know, trying to push a model that wasn't, the ecosystem wasn't ready for. You know, I, I, see, I see two Two product uh, products here, if you can call it that. Uh, you know, the 500 startups, like the accelerator program, mm. and then the 500 VCs, like uh, they, uh, you know, making funds yep. in different countries or region in, across the world. Uh, they are you saying that the accelerator part didn't work here in in Scandinavia? I mean, I, I ran one or two actually here just to show how it works and show the value and and let the companies mm. let the founders talk. Founders are the best marketing. I want founders going out to market saying, like, that was a good experience, too. I also want to talk about one other tactical mistake. We talked about these regional funds. Um, doing a Nordic fund was, in it was a mistake, I would say. Because to me, I looked at it and I was like, well, Norway's too small. Even Stockholm's too small. I need to aggregate all these countries together to have enough companies to work with. Um, but then that meant that Stina and I, we had trying to be in five countries at once. doesn't work out. Everybody always felt that they were not getting enough love. Why are you spending more time in Finland? Why do you go to Norway? You know, why aren't you doing everything in Stockholm? Mm. So I, I think that we couldn't keep. We're trying to keep everybody happy, which meant we met kept nobody happy. And then I, another nuance I didn't understand is other Nordic countries. You all don't really like each other that much, or you're you all think you're better than each other. Like I, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand the the Sweden Norway brother sister relationship and the history of all that going you know rather far mm. back. So to me, I was just like, yeah, kumbaya, let's all love each other. Let's let's do this together. <laughs> I didn't realize how segmented it was. So mm-hmm. to redo it again, I would have done a Norway fund, a Swedish fund, a Danish fund. Um, because when I talked to a Swede about putting money into a Nordic fund that may be given to Norwegians, they're like, no. And Danes are like, you're giving it to anyone but Danes? How dare you? You know. So 
that was another mistake. Should have been country by country. Yeah, I, I just I I was at Slush. Uh, was it last week? Yeah, or, it was last week. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So far away. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, Dave McClure was on stage. Yeah, yeah, it was a great talk. Yeah, and it was. He had a fireside chat with uh, who was it? I think uh, she, she was writer or something. Yeah, a journalist, journalist from fin- Finland. I think it was. Yeah, and he, anyway, he said that uh, you know, he talked about the Nordic Fund, and yeah. um, and uh, he said that you know it has to have some size. You know, you know Sweden yeah. and Norway by itself aren't, aren't you know aren't large enough to invest in. Yeah, not enough consumers, uh, and, uh, and maybe not enough companies. Because remember, we want to invest yeah. in a hundred companies really fast. Yeah. And we, we don't just want to give it to everyone, you know, and we were afraid there wasn't enough. Yeah. But I still think that you made a huge impact on the scene because um, I feel like that you gave many startups and uh, just generally to some confidence to the startup scene. Mm. Because uh, when we were, when, when I like learned that you were coming here, I was like, wow, cool. Mm. So yeah. actually somebody from US, from Silicon Valley, believes in the, in the potential of the region startups. Yep. Uh, so it very, was very good signal mm. effect. And uh, and also, uh, I think probably some people picked a lot of interesting things from your accelerator, uh, since you mentioned that there are much more accelerators going on. Now. Yeah, because yeah. me, like, yeah, failure is tough. I'm okay to talk about it. It doesn't mean it's not, you know... It's not hard to sort of manage. And I would say that to a lot of people locally where it's like, yeah, we failed on the fund. And, and they would come back and say, no, 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 you didn't fail. You didn't raise the money. You had impact. So it made me feel really good. And I looked and I was like, okay, good. You know, I, I wanted to do a lot more. I wanted to have a hundred, you know, a hundred times more impact. But, um, but I do feel it's sort of, yeah, it put a little bit of a spotlight on it and it changed. It got people worried here too. Like other players started to react more. Now, I'm from America. I don't believe in monopolies. You guys love monopolies. Even your wine store is called the monopoly. Like, <laughs> well, it's actually like, quite good. Yeah. <laughs> but like to me, well, I'm like... Maybe we're brainwashed, so... <laughs> yeah. But to me, I'm like, mm, I don't like an ecosystem where one or two parties has a lot of control. That means founders have less options. Yeah, like, true. I want many options. I want the market to decide. So when I came in, they felt some competition, which maybe didn't help me earn trust. Um, but if it helped them move faster or innovate or become better, awesome. Like that, That's what I wanted. What What is your dream scenario for hmm. Norwegian startup ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, I love Norway. I, I believe in Norway. So I, I want to see it succeed. I mean, I'd love to see it even surpass Sweden. Like that. that's a, probably a crazy Yay. goal. <laughs> and I actually like talked to Norwegian founders. I'm just like, why you're letting Sweden doesn't even care about you. They're just walked all over you. Like, don't you feel some local pride? Like, go challenge them, you know, and you may be a few years behind. Um, but yeah, I want, I want to see sustainability. I want to see a few big hits be created because that will generate liquidity and interest. Same with if we go back to Stockholm, uh, Spotify, put them on the map. Minecraft really put them on the map. How do we create a few big hits? Start to create a cycle of movement. Startups are created. They scale, they exit, get liquidity. They put capital back into the ecosystem. Um, you know, big founders make a lot of money. They become angel investors. This cycle works really well in Silicon Valley. The cycle does not exist here. So I want to create that cycle in some way, put more companies into the market and try and get things to move faster. So more accelerator programs, more education, more Norwegians going to California, other markets, you know, faster. But yeah, I believe in it. I want to see it succeed. So so what, what five Norwegian companies do you think will succeed? So it's a good question. And if I think about, I mean, number one, obviously, I think everyone will say Kahoot because they have scale. They're 35 million or so monthly actives. If they can get to 100 million, that's a huge business. And that's a business that's very attractive. So, you know, they have an exit event that creates capital and money for the founders, employees, and then all of the investors, you know, so then they'll double down. They'll be more, more excited. Uh, other ones that like interest me, it's funny, like we talked a little bit about Remarkable. I've noticed like a lot more focus on hardware, no isolation. These are businesses that scare a lot of other investors, but I think Norway can actually pull this off. Just amazing design, high quality of engineers, and sort of not afraid of hardware. So th- those are, you know, probably two that I think are, are definitely interesting. If I want to go back to at least one that I've invested in is Iris AI. Um, she was one where it was a bit of a team bet. I saw her on stage at Oslo Innovation Week, and I wrote to her, and I was like, I'm going to be really candid. I am not an expert in AI. I'm actually sort of AI dumb. You know, but there's something special about what you're doing and who you are. I want you to do the program. And they did our accelerator. So I think that business is going to go in a few different directions, but the team is, is just really dynamic, really bold, very diverse. 
there's not, it's not full of Norwegians. It's full of other people from other cultures. Um, so I, I believe in that, that sort of uh, chemistry as well, too. If I had to pick at least one of mine that I love. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah because you also, yeah, diversity. You mentioned that you're, the team in 500 Startups was very yeah. diverse, and you have some kick-ass women who are yep. leading uh, Many, some ha- of the parts. Half the staff. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. amazing. Uh, and also you um, talked about diversity to, for example, our... Minister of Integration, Sylvia Listaug. Yes. Um, like, what are you? Why? Why? Why should we care about diversity, and especially when it comes to startups? Yeah. What's funny about her? I didn't know who she was. I didn't know her background. And someone's like, "Can you talk about?" Maybe it was you. Like, can you talk about diversity and why immigrants are, are important? And I just like laid it into her and. Man, she was like so unhappy about what I was saying. It was great. And, and Nita yeah. Myra walked up to me after. She was like, thank you for that. And then someone told me all the background. I'm like, oh, no, I bet she thinks I set her up. <laughs> I thought it was like a plant to just like drive all these things that she hates. Um, but, yeah, diversity wins. Um, if there's tons of data on it. It's just like you need different cultures. You need different a- approaches. You need different histories to make a team. You know, I know this is very uh, – society here is maybe not so much like that, but, like, that definitely wins, you know, and, and there's no sort of – there's no doubt to me. Those teams are just more fun. They have better connections, and they just bring skill sets you're not going to find if you have three people with the exact same background, the same culture, and, and so forth. So, yeah, big but, believer in it. But do you think that something – your views right here, do you think mm-hmm. those views are reflected by uh, the VCs? Because I don't I don't think so. No, no, no. I think mm-hmm. VCs especially go for people that look like Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. and it's a 22-year-old white male. Yeah. Um, because they've seen that be a success many times. They're all about pattern recognition. Um, so a lot of people say, oh, it's a pipeline problem. We need to attack it at the like early education stage. I don't really believe in that, because I know there's a lot of amazing women and minority founders out there. I see them all the time. They're just not given the same opportunity. I mean, but, I mean, VCs are concerned about money, right? They, they're in the game to make money. They, they have two jobs, deploy capital, generate a return. Yeah. That's their only job. Like, yeah. So, objectively, why wouldn't, if, you know, if science supports that diversity is yeah. good, why wouldn't they put money in diversity? I don't understand it because it's actually in their self-interest. If I don't yeah. know, yeah. But they haven't seen the pattern. They haven't mm-hmm. seen as many female entrepreneurs succeed as they've seen male entrepreneurs. No, but um, that's like the human mind. Like they, they should be able to put them, you know, to to uh, put the, put their own mind aside and should just look at the numbers. If if they're, I don't know if they're correct or you know, but well, uh, no, these are studies from like Harvard, yeah. MIT. Very yeah. legitimate, but yeah. um, no, like a few do. Dave McClure is one of them, and he will be very candid and say. Yes, it's the right thing to do, but I'm a greedy VC. And if you're not going to fund the best women and minorities, I'll do it. And then great, that's my win because now I don't have to compete with you. And I'm going to get them at a cheaper price and I'm going to get more ownership and they're going to sell. So a few have come out and then I've seen a few funds that are, you know, all minorities or or all women. And and so they're focused exclusively on that. So good for them. Like they're going to take that market. You know, and, and yeah. 500 benefited from that. 500 was always looked at as a welcome place for uh, international founders and women. And so we got the best, you know. And if you looked at the even the accelerators I ran, it was 30 to 45 percent uh, women founders. And if you looked at YC, it was like 6 percent. To their credit, they've done a lot more now and they've, they've had a focus on it, too. But they weren't getting good women founders. We got them all. So good for us. We yeah. benefit. It's like an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's an opportunity to, yeah. yeah. So those that focus on it here, I think what the challenge is is... is This is a very equal society, but I don't see a lot of women who have a role in the venture community. I see none, actually. I don't. Do you know no. one? Erika. Yeah. 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 But she's. Anna uh, has been investing also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you're you're right. No, yeah. Also, they they don't actually they don't actually invest money. Well, Anna has been yeah. investing on behalf of Buck in the Bank. Yep. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But there, there's room, and and she, I know she's been doing a few things. But like, if others joined, if you know, a lot of these partnerships, the few funds that are here, like they don't have any women in senior investing positions, uh, and they should, and then they'd immediately get a lot more deal flow out of it. Yeah, you know, they, and also, yeah, yeah Babu has launched yep. a website that looks very good. That is called It's Time. That's yep. also about uh, this topic. Yeah, yeah and I, I helped her a little bit on that, sort of recommending yeah. female founders mm. uh, yeah. that are interesting. Yeah, mm. so. Yeah, it's it's an opportunity, uh, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like you don't want to talk about gender here because I feel like a lot of people will be like, "Oh, nope, it's figured out, it's worked," and it's like mm, not in this community. Like mm-hmm. we do need to have the discussion a little bit here. Oh, okay, I, I don't. I, I no. actually think we we talk talk a lot about it. 
and I think it's good that like uh, we did a series. More so and... lately, yeah. Okay, but, but yeah. Not, I guess maybe I'm thinking a year ago. Are, are you yeah. mean like in the startup community or or, startup like, community, or yeah. like in 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 general? Well, startup community. Okay, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because I think it's a good. You have a good, you know, gender debate in Norway, don't you? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, you so now you're out of five hundred five hundred startups, and. Um, you actually decided to move to Norway. I did, as crazy as that is. Um, And I'll be really candid that I had like one last trip of 500 and I was going to give up on it. And I was like, it didn't work out. It's painful. I'm just going to do my last trip. I'm going to wrap up my business. I had a few deals that were closing and I was closing the program in Stockholm. I'm like, that'll be the last time. And I did come to Oslo again, not really for business, more just to see some friends and so forth too. But I was actually thinking in my mind that this will be the last time I do this and, you know, I'll I'll go back and find something new to do. And I came here and I realized I just couldn't give up on it. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't walk away. And um, I basically decided to, you know, literally as I was flying back, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to stop. I'm going to double down. I took so much of my time and effort and, and other things to sort of get here and get to know people. And I still believed in it and sort of flew home and, um, yeah, I decided to just go for it and make it happen. Do you, do you have any personal investments there in Norway? I don't. So 500 didn't let me do personal investing. So that was one of our mandates. And so mm-hmm. I may do some of that now. Uh, I'm also working with, that, with a new fund that's being established. So I, I don't know. It's it's actually different, though. Like, when you invest your own money, it's like, hmm, it's tough. You know? <laughs> I love investing other people's money. <laughs> that, that's a lot of fun. Because if the companies do well, I win. And if they lose, it doesn't, doesn't impact me. So I've, I've never done an angel investment because the only investing I've done with 500 is is with their fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't allowed to do personal. So what, 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 what are your main skills? Well, why, mm-hmm. why would people hire you? So I think one, yeah, it's a bit of it. Yeah, if you want the sort of American, you know, butt kicking ethic, you oh, know, let's the do cowboy, the, yeah, like the like, Scandinavian version. Yeah, but like, like more, like, yeah, if you if you wanted that attitude, then yes. But I think more practical or tactical is growth and marketing. I've you know done yeah. that for twelve years. You know, I just I've worked with so many early stage companies, helping them get lift off the first hundred customers, the first thousand or ten thousand kroner in in revenue. So I, I think that's the big thing too, uh, and then yeah, how to pitch, how to sell yourself, how to be confident, how to how to how to get people excited about what you're doing. You know, those are kind of the two things. But here, I think those are two things you need. You need to grow faster, and you need to have more confidence in what you're doing and, and conviction. Yeah. So now you're in um, half of your time in Stavanger. Yes. In X2 Labs. Yep. So what is X2 Labs and why did you get involved there? Yeah. So it's a good question. The X2 Labs, they're kind of calling themselves a hyper accelerator and they're going to do 10 accelerator programs in the next year, which is a lot. Uh, and I had known them a little bit. We were actually in the process of setting up our third program in Stavanger. Uh, and it just, we, the fund didn't, we ran out of time. It wasn't coming together. So we had to pull the plug, unfortunately. Uh, but I love the city because that city has pressure. That, that city's depressed. Like things are not going well there and they'll actually make some movement. Um, I love Oslo. It's my home now, but like there's no move. There's no you know urgency. Nothing's happening fast here. So I saw a city in transformation. Uh, and I honestly, like they're a bit crazy and, and wild and just want to move as fast as possible. And I came to Oslo maybe two or three months ago, and I said, I'm coming here, I'm moving here, I'm looking to get engaged with a few people. And I had five or so uh, bodies I was talking to, and they all dragged their feet, or they're all still in negotiation. And so I, I don't know if it was the fact that I hadn't made the move yet or something, but it was classic Oslo companies. I was like, I'm here, I want to help, I want to work. And Oslo people here are not very opportunistic. America, China, you're really opportunistic. Wait, someone's available? Grab them as fast as possible. And I was talking with Chris uh, over there with X2, and he told me the vision and how fast they want to move and how they launched this thing in four weeks. And he said, send me something today and I'll sign it and you'll be starting right away. And so I just love the energy. I just felt an energy there that I hadn't seen anywhere in Norway, maybe anywhere in Scandinavia. So just really ambitious. And, and like I said, a bit crazy, but that's great. Like I, that's, I'm a little crazy. Like, like It was a good match. Yeah. And then uh, you will uh, mentor and... You're you're like a um, director of this. Yeah, program. I mean, I'm I'm kind of like a partner, so I'll be helping with investing and then yeah. helping to shape these accelerator programs. Yeah. The other thing that attracted me, these are accelerators in new areas for me, things like space and food and ocean technology and, and things that like I haven't done in the past, but like 
a lot of interest to do them and, and try and do something different than doing just another food app or doing another, you know, Uber for kind of thing. There's a lot of those. Like I want to do something a little bit more deep and meaningful. And so I'll be there helping to shape those programs, helping to integrate corporates who also have been wanting to get involved a lot more, you know, so they have a lot of experience doing corporate innovation. Corporates don't know how to do accelerators, so we can match them up and create a really top notch program for them. Uh, but also the other big thing too is, is bringing international competency. So I'm bringing a lot of mentors from Silicon Valley, uh, bringing, trying to bring startups from America and other places, you know, to come to this, you know, little town on the coast. Why do you think uh, corporates should be involved in an accelerator? Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of people would argue they shouldn't because it, it's sort of the opposite of what they are. You know, corporates don't really, you, you hear innovation be thrown around everywhere, corporate innovation, everyone wants innovation. Uh, corporates don't <laughs> want love yeah, innovation. I, I know. Yeah. I have a few thoughts yeah. on that too. I, I don't want to go off on that rant right now, but the, um, corporates don't want innovation. Corporates want the status quo uh, and they want the status quo with a better margin. Basically, they just want their margin to improve over time. So I think they talk about innovation. They don't understand it. It doesn't match to them. They know they have to now because the world's moving so fast and they're being disrupted. I like disruption. Uh, to me, things like Uber is great. And, and there's a lot of great people driving taxis in Oslo, but it's not a great service. It's way too expensive. And so they probably should go away for a better experience. Like, that's a good thing to me. <laughs> can, can I arrest you a little bit there? Sure. That's a Norwegian expression. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, very, very good. Arrest, yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you talk about yeah. Uber. Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> I, would, I would love to go into the ethics of Uber. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's a really unethical company. How so, though? Yeah. Um, because... The drivers are there just temporarily. It's not mm -hmm. like they care about the drivers. They just use them now, and eventually they'll have self-driving cars. Yep. So they just uh, actually they make less money than they would do driving cabs. Mm. But you're actually you're targeting a segment, uh, like um, um, a vulnerable segment uh, to have mm. make cheap services and actually just to grow the company. And what would be good if is it that if um, Uber would actually give shares or have a share program for mm. uh, for the cab drivers, which actually show that they cared? But uh, sorry, yeah, yeah. There is actually a company yes, in New York that yes. started doing this, yep. like yeah. Uber on ethics yep. drugs. Okay, <laughs> this is the nice Uber. Yeah. I forget the name, but I've heard it. Yeah, that. I also forget the name, but I, I, it's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, yeah. but on the other hand, I, I, I love forces like Uber. Which would really, you know, disrupts the market because yeah. things hasn't been done. You know, I was, uh, a couple of months ago. I took a cab from uh, Oslo Central Station, and uh, when I when I got there, it was a long taxi line, like there was like twenty five cars, and I asked the driver, you know, uh, you know, how, how long do you usually wait for uh, for a drive to, you know, and he says between forty five minutes and an hour in during the day. That's a lot of time wasted, you know. Yep. It's it's so inefficient. Just the time, like maybe half of his day is not driving. So, and that's I'm actually paying for that when I when I'm taking. You are, yeah. That's why they're so expensive. Yeah. yeah. So it's you know, the 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 old cab system, if you can call it that, it's obsolete in my view, and and that's why I love that someone is pushing you know on like like Uber. But I, I would have hoped that it would be more ethical, mm. and then it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're driven or, or run by a very libertarian uh, CEO, yeah. and so like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's not worried too much about someone's well-being. And you're right; they are going to be robots at some point. The one thing I would sort of challenge you on, though, is like, yeah, that is maybe a vulnerable segment of the market. That's a market that's growing. This freelancer economy—they want flexibility. Millennials don't want to own cars and houses and be tied down to things. They don't want a nine-to-five job. So I think they are leaning into an audience that's growing, maybe not as much in Norway, but in every other market. This freelance economy is, is just going through the roof. So you can jump in and work for an hour or two and then jump out. And, yeah. and your time is, is much, much more efficiently spent. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. And it, it's going that way, direction. And you have, at, you have at least two levels, like, you know, the high professionals that can actually take have you know getting pay, you know decently paid for their work and then you have the, the other you know the, the the level below that will eventually be replaced by robots yeah. and even you know the the experts will be replaced by robots yeah. <laughs> someday as well uh, but um, and i see there there are benefits to this but there's also um, uh, some real ethical questions that that rises yeah. 
They're, they're mm-hmm. a classic American high growth company, though. Like Americans are ruthless, and and yeah, mm-hmm. like there's victims in in the wake, unfortunately. And and but that's mm-hmm. how they built every major industry there. You know, yeah. A lot of stuff that yeah, I'm, I'm not proud of, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. that that's the American mindset, though. It's just like I'm gonna win, and I'm I'm, I'm ruthless. Yeah. So this is one thing. So this is as I begin to understand Norwegian culture, trust, like. Originally, I criticized a lot of it, and now I'm actually thinking, wow, there's so much. That's why I moved here. This actually is a much better society. So my view will probably temper the more that I'm here. I feel that there is, with everything, the American ruthlessness, arrogance, and then the complete opposite side is the Norwegian ethics and and modesty and high values. There's probably something right in the middle that's really, really good. Where I can get maybe Norwegians to be a little more aggressive, but not go full American. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like yeah, like a joke. Like don't be eating hamburgers, shooting guns, but like but like get your right in the middle there. I don't know. I, I feel the blending of the two is to me the ultimate. But yes, yeah. American companies are ruthless. Uh, Chinese companies even more ruthless. Yeah, yeah. but like sorry, I'm mm-hmm. I'm shouldn't be talking uh, if uh, <laughs> we're interviewing you, but um, uh, but you know the, you know you elected Trump. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't vote for him. No, no, that's good, good. Yeah, but but um, uh, you know, like um, our um, uh, Peri Var, uh, the uh, other my co-founder in Shifter, wrote an article about uh, is that you have there's a there's a lot of people that are now feeling lost in you know they don't see any value created for them mm. when society is progressing. Yeah, you know the differences are getting larger, and and tech companies have a responsibility here because. They're actually making that solution the solutions that are taking away these people's jobs, hmm. and we have to be able to provide some side of some some sort of transition for them. Hmm. Uh, otherwise, you will have deep conflicts between um, uh, d- divided you know divided uh, sides in the population and deep conflicts. And and I believe you know you see some of it in like electing populist. Uh, politicians, politicians that are actually saying that yeah you know, we will take our the factories back we will yeah make, but it's it's just you know we we call the bullshit right uh, because the, the progression is going that way but we have to provide some sort of transition for the, the other ones mm. or the society will. Yeah, it's it's dark and grim to think about, but a, a lot of those people they're going to churn out of society. Like they're going to pass away, and they're going to be replaced by younger generations, digital mm-hmm. natives. I think this is maybe that one gap where those mm-hmm. people that are affected in the middle America they didn't grow up with technology, they weren't they didn't have the level of access. And I was speaking with my daughter a few weeks ago, and and she had a question. And I said, well, "Let's just Google that," and then I had to maybe illustrate the fact that like you know you grew up in a very special time. If you have any questions, you can Google that. I didn't have that option, so I could always get whatever knowledge I wanted. These people didn't have that benefit, so I agree. Like it's not great, yeah. And I don't. I, what I like about Norway is the equality, and I do like that you haven't killed your middle class like we have in America. But I do sort of laugh at those people, not laugh like at them, but like I worry about them. Where it's like those jobs aren't coming back. Yeah, he he used them for that, unfortunately. Uh, and we'll see. But also, that wasn't really technology that drove that. That was the ship manufacturing leaving. Um, but I don't know. Like this is where I'm really conflicted because to me, like the Uber stuff self-driving cars, me not having to drive a car and find parking. I want humanity to have more time to work on meaningful things. You know, to me, driving a car is not meaningful. It's just a way to get to A to B. If I didn't have to drive and I could sit and do a phone call, if I could build something, if I could write something, I can create during that time. Yeah, so anytime where technology is enabling the freeing up of time to work on bigger problems. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm a nerd. I, I, gotta, I totally disagree that. and you yeah. that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, of course. No, it's, uh, it's um, you know, that's that's called progression, right? Yeah. Uh, that you actually, you, can, you don't have to do stuff that you don't have to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I just have a quick uh, comment because... Uh, uh, when I quit my job as a journalist and started to write a book and an interview over like 50 founders, investors from Norway, uh, it, part of the reason was to uh, understand the Norwegian way of innovation. Like mm. how do we create companies in Norway and how the culture, uh, what is the uh, Norwegian culture in that? Uh, because I felt like everybody were talking about Silicon Valley or we have to be like Silicon Valley, mm. we have to be like Americans, but we will never be Americans. Mm. We're Norwegians. Yep. So, uh, and I totally agree that there are some values we have in Norway, like gender equality and middle class and uh, respect for, for people who are sick or who don't have the same cap- capabilities that we have to remember, I think, and take with us when we start new companies. We have to, like, we don't have to 
how it is called. Don't throw throw the baby with the water. Yeah. Uh, we have to like t- take some of the, those qualities and combine them with qualities from Silicon Valley. Then we can have like really really great companies that are both ethical, I think, and also maybe have the the, the amazing American growth <laughs> factor. I, I think so. That was kind of my my point earlier. I'm just like, yeah, let, let's mix these two together. And changing user behavior is very difficult. Changing a society and culture almost impossible. Things are the way here because this is how they have been, and you may be able to adjust it slightly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't want Norwegians going crazy American for sure. Yeah, but I, I want you to find little things that you like, and let's take those off and supplement. Um, and th- like I said, things I criticize now, I like. Hmm, I respect. I understand. I appreciate nature again. Like like Norway is opening my eyes in many many ways. Mm, they're um, gonna go skiing. And I'm gonna go cross country yeah. skiing. I yeah. bought the skis. So <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyone can join and pitch Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard that when you cross country ski, you don't talk. Right? Okay. Like, I don't do cross country ski. Yeah, but then when you, like, when you eat the, the orange and the quick lunch, yeah, then, the, then, yeah. then you can, then have, you can the, talk. Then okay. have the elevator pitch. Yeah, <laughs> actually, we should have a ski savvy yeah. uh, entrepreneur. Yep. He could uh, teach you how to ski. Yep. Oh, do you, do you know how to ski? I know how to downhill and, and, yeah. and snowboard, but I've never, uh, never crossed country. country. So, yeah. so there's an opportunity here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may get like five emails on that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think we need to wrap it up. I have uh, tons more questions. Uh, so those probably uh, Maria. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, probably the same, but... Yeah, yeah. so thank you very much, Sean, for joining us in this podcast. Uh, it's been really interesting to hear your views. And um, uh, we are really excited about your next venture in X2 Labs. Uh, so keep us posted about the progression there. Um, and Maria has an announcement to make. <laughs> no, no, I was just... <laughs> I have some you... announcements too, but please no, go okay, ahead. Okay, okay, I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you had your first Norwegian class. I have it in an hour. Yeah, yes. I have it now. Okay, so is there any Norwegian words that you've learned that you would like to share with us? I can say things like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm drinking the water. You, the, the listeners can't see that. Ajagu, yeah. um, when you hand yeah. someone something. Yeah, so I'm learning like little phrases too, but I mean, I'm worried my pronunciation is going to be tough. Uh, I just want to be able to at least understand people and listen. And if they speak to me in Norwegian, a lot of people think I'm Norwegian. Every every time I'm in a store, they just immediately speak Norwegian to me. It must be the beard. Um, but I just want to at least understand them, either respond in Norwegian if I can or, or speak in English. But this is part of me trying to build trust here. And I think that's a big part of it. It, it shows that I care to, to learn the language. Cool. Yeah. 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 So what's your announcement? So, yeah, I have two announcements I want to talk about, actually. And they're, they're still in the early stage. And, and, you know, you've helped me with one of these as well, too. But I am writing a book based on my experience. Really? And so the book is going to be called The Loud American's Guide to Doing Business in Norway. And so I'm taking everything I've learned, all the mistakes, all the good stuff. I'm going to put it in a book um, because I do want to encourage more Americans or other cultures to come here. This is vital to me, I think, to sort of help them come here and sort of have... Not a better experience than I had, but just sort of a, a better integration and better understanding before they land. So that's a big part. Um, we joked a little bit how there's like too much innovation and everything's about innovation and there's a whole week about innovation. And so next year we'll be making the announcement soon. Um, we're actually going to do something called also Disruption Week. And we're going to have a week of nothing but disruptive events, very sort of, I won't even share it too much now because I want to sort of get the website out and talk about it too, but it'll be a whole week about the stuff that people don't want to talk about or people are scared to talk about and trying to sort of drive more disruptive change in addition to innovation, just because I want things to move a little bit faster too. So look for the book, look for the Oslo Disruption Week announcement coming out soon, and I hope to see you buy the book and, and join us for that as well. Thank you very Thank much. You. Yeah. Thank you.